Thank you, uh, Brother Alex. That was, uh, that was beautiful. Good morning, everyone. Happy Sabbath. It is uh, good to see everyone here this morning. For those of you that are watching at home, it is uh, good to have you with us and to have you join us. We do have uh, some technical problems today. We don't have our projectors, and if you know me, you know I am a, uh, a big uh, PowerPoint person, but that's okay. Nothing will stop the Word of God from going forward, so we will work with what we have, and I will work off my, uh, my laptop this morning. If there is something, uh, I will have some quotations. If there is something that, uh, that you would like, uh, I can certainly share that with you after we are, uh, after we are finished this morning. So before we begin, uh, let's go to the Lord uh, for prayer. Father God, we, uh, we thank you uh, for this moment. Uh, we thank you for this time that we have together. And Father, I would ask now that uh, you would take all of us, each and every one of us that are listening and that are here, to the foot of the cross. Father, that is where we find everything that was accomplished. We find love, we find joy, we find peace, we find justice. We find everything that this world is looking for at the cross, Father. Uh, take us there, lead us and guide us. Let the Holy Spirit be here to open hearts and open minds this morning. We thank you, we love you, and we do this in his holy and precious name, our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I was, uh, I was touched this morning as we were going through the, the missionary story when it spoke about potluck, uh, because I don't know about you, but I miss the potlucks in this church. Uh, not only for the food, and the food is quite amazing, I do have to say, we do have some incredible chefs here in the church, but I miss it because of the fellowship. Uh, I miss church being opened and all of us to come back, and I cannot wait for this to be over because I miss the time of fellowship, of us being together, of us sharing uh, our stories, of us sharing our pains, our triumphs, everything that we have that we come together and we share as brothers and sisters. So I do hope and I do pray that this time passes uh, quickly for us. I had uh, an opportunity uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, to be up in the, uh, the Jasper Seventh-day Adventist Church, and many of you know Bob Strom is up there, Bob and Maida and, and, uh, and Michelle. And uh, about a year ago, two years ago, I had been up there, and there was a, a gentleman that was there that uh, had come to the Alpharetta Church a few times, but this was before my time. I've been in the Alpharetta Church now for about 10 years, uh, and he had been here before that. And I know that uh, the Stroms had kept in touch with him, and he was a Hindu. And they had, they had stayed in touch. You know, they reached out to him. They were witnessing to him. But he was strong in his beliefs. He was strong in his faith. But they never lost touch. They never lost contact with him. He would come back occasionally. I saw him a few times up there. And when I was there uh, three weeks ago, or it was a month ago, I had gotten an email the night before that this gentleman was baptized in the Jasper Church that week. A Hindu had made the decision in his life against his family. His entire family is Hindu. He is the only Christian now in his life, and he made the decision that he wanted to give his life to the Lord. That was pretty overwhelming to me. I mean, in the times that we're living in now, where you see so much chaos, where you see all of the things that are going on, a story like that happens, and it tells us that God is still in control. 
that Jesus is still working in lives, that the Holy Spirit is still working in lives. And we've seen baptisms here, and there are baptisms that are happening all throughout the world in the Adventist church at record numbers. My brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit is working, and my brothers and sisters, Jesus is coming back soon. And we need to be ready. We need to be working during these times. And for those, if you know somebody that's new in the faith, if you know somebody that's just been baptized, our brother Caleb is here and he just got baptized a few weeks ago, Alex and Taisi, now is the time that we reach out to them. And we stay close to them. And we witness to them still. And we encourage them by our words. And we take them along in their journey. It's important to do that, and it's important not to lose contact with them during these times. There was a, a verse that struck me as I was preparing this sermon, being with Jesus, and it is in Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. So you're going to need your swords today, right, Donnie? We're going to need our swords. Normally, I would have the verses up on the screen, but we don't have that today, so you have to have your sword with you if you're at home. You're going to need it because we are going to be in Scripture today. So Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2 says, And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. If you're a runner or if you've ever been in a race before, as you're going along, the thing that you're looking for is the finish line. And once you see that finish line, your eyes are locked on that finish line because you know that's where you have to get to. I don't want to take my eyes off there. I don't want to look at the ground in front of me. I want to look at that finish line because that's where I have to go. We need to have our eyes fixed on Jesus today. He is the perfecter of everything. And now is the time as we go through this race, as we endure the things that we endure, Jesus is the answer to all. Let's keep our eyes fixed on him. Being with Jesus. I uh, moved down here, so I'm, I'm gonna date myself. I moved down here in 1994, and um, I was working for a company back then, still in the same industry that I work now, it's international cargo, it's, it's logistics, but at that time, you had to have your business in the same state that an importer or an exporter was working. Those were the rules of customs back then. So we had a big company, and they decided they were going to leave Queens for good reason, and they were going to come down to Kennesaw, Georgia. I say Queens because I'm not from Queens. If it was Brooklyn, I would have said they should have stayed in Brooklyn, but they were in Queens, so it was okay for them to come down. And they came to Kennesaw. And so we came down, and we, we opened the office, but over the course of time, we, we, we gained other accounts, other import accounts, and we happened to get one that was in New Jersey. And uh, this account handles uh, school supplies, but they sell them to schools and other educational institutions. And so over the course of time, we were assigned different accounts, and that account happened to be assigned to, to me. And I had grown very close to the, the traffic lady, say her name is Barbara, 
Barbara was a, a very kind, a very sweet woman, and, and you know, we, would just, we just clicked on, on that level, and we would talk about just lots of different things. She was a mom, she was a grandma, I mean, just, just a, a lovely woman to deal with. Now, we were in an office of four, maybe five people was the most, so when a call came in, we didn't necessarily have a secretary, everybody was a secretary. So if you were free, you would pick up the call and you would say hello. So because of that, we got used to the sound of people's voices. We didn't have to ask who was calling. You just automatically knew who it was. So we had those phones, you know, those, those business kind of phones where you would have the line that would light up and it was at an extension. So I knew if John was on the phone or I knew if Mary was on the phone. And so my boss, whose name is also Phil, he was a very to-the-point guy. If you were going to call Phil, he just wants to know, what do you want? And we got to get off the call. Five minutes at tops, he, he wanted to talk to you, unless it was his family. If his wife called or his kids called, he can go on for five, ten minutes. It was no big deal. So this day, there's a call coming in. I could see the light on, and Phil's light is on for about a good ten minutes. And then Phil comes walking out of his office, and he says, Phil, your mom is on line whatever. That was a very natural thing to have. My mom would call me three times or so during the week, and I would talk to her. And so I said, okay. Picked up the phone, and I greeted my mom as I normally would greet her. I probably said, hey, ma, what's up, or something to that effect. But right away, I knew something was off. Something wasn't right. Because the first words that she said, it wasn't my mom, it was Barbara. And Phil had a 10-minute conversation with Barbara thinking it was my mom. And Barbara played right along with the conversation. Now, I never asked what they talked about because I probably didn't want to know, but Barbara played along. There was something about Barbara's voice, her demeanor, how she said things, and Phil knew my mom, that said in Phil's mind that this isn't anybody else except Mrs. Del Rocco. We're going to talk about a story this morning in Acts chapter 4 that I think is very telling and it's very relevant for our churches today. Because it teaches us how we should be doing things today and if we do believe that we are living in the end times, it teaches us how we should be preparing ourselves for that particular time. So we're going to go there, but before we go there, I want to read you a quotation from my favorite author. And this is what she says. The apostles spoke plainly of the great sin of the Jews in rejecting and putting to death the prince of life, but they were careful not to drive their hearers to despair. Now I have to tell you, I am a great believer in the obligation that we have to call sin by its rightful name. I, I firmly believe that. I think we have too much of the opposite in today's churches. I, I think we're too much about friendship evangelism, and we're afraid to talk about the sin part. But I also believe that we never want to focus on the sin part either. I believe that if we do that, 
we're bringing too much recognition to the one who has brought the scourge of sin into this world. We should never talk about that beyond what we have to. So there's a blending. There's a blending of the two, and nobody got that better than Jesus. Nobody was able to do that, to befriend people and to talk about sin better than Jesus could. The disciples got that as they spent time with him. That's how we do it. That's how we should do it, by reading about Jesus, by understanding Jesus' character, and by taking that character on. And then we, too, would be able to do the same thing in our lives. You see, the very definition of Jesus, the very definition of God, I should say, is love. It should be the very definition of you and I today. God is love. We should be all about love. You see, being with Jesus means everything that we do in our lives should be done in love. Now, I have to tell you, when I do sermons, and I always try and have three main points in the sermon, I'll usually have a list of maybe five or six or seven points, and then I'll just pray about it and say, okay, which are the ones that I want to put in in the top three? Being with Jesus means everything we should do in love was on there, but it wasn't in my top three until I started praying about it. Because let's be honest, in the world that we live in today, when we see the things that are going on, when we see the chaos, when we hear all the vitriol that goes on, it's not easy to do everything in love. It's not easy to respond in love, is it? if we're being honest. We want to get right into the thick of things. We want to get right down sometimes into the mud with people and battle it out for what we believe. But we have to remember as Christians, we have to set that example. We have to take on Jesus' character, and that means that we have to do everything that we do in love. Our mission today is not easy. It's hard. Being a Christian today is hard. It should be hard. But something happened, as we're going to see in this story, that when things got difficult, when things got hard, man, that early church and those disciples, they knew what to do when those situations came up. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. So let's go to verse number one, Acts chapter four. Acts chapter four, beginning in verse number one. It says, as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. Spirit of prophecy tells us by this time and ever afterward, the activities of the apostles were a matter of deep and unfriendly interest to the Jewish authorities. At this point, completely going forward, there was, there was this, this division. They did not like them at this point. Now, it's only been a few weeks since the crucifixion of Jesus, and you have to believe all of these that are in authority, all of these Jewish leaders, they're in some way congratulating themselves on what they were able to accomplish. After all, in their own minds, they have saved their nation. 
If we go back and we look in John 11:50, Caiaphas said, you do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. So they're, they're feeling good. Jesus is now dead. And, and, and when this thing came up about Jesus' body being gone, they're not going to give any recognition to a resurrection. So what do we do? Well, we'll just tell people and we'll put the story out there that the disciples came and they stole the body. And we don't know which one of these leaders, how many of them were there on the day of Pentecost of what took place, but undoubtedly they heard what took place and what was going on, and undoubtedly they could now see that that church is beginning to grow. So this is a problem, and now on top of everything else, there are two main spokesmen that are preaching about Jesus in the temple. Wow. They're thinking, this, we, we, we got to shut this down as quickly as we possibly can. Verse 4 said, But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. They understood if these guys go unchecked, the danger to their influence, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, would be greater than it was when Jesus walked the earth. So what are we going to do? Well, we'll just put him in prison. We'll, we'll put him in jail. So the next day, the elders and the ruler and the scribes, they're gathered together, and we pick it up in verse number 6, and it says, And thus the high priest was there, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of highly priestly descent. When they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, By what power or in what name have you done this? Now keep in mind, if we go back one chapter in Acts, let's go to Acts chapter 3, verses 6 through 9, we see this familiar story, and it picks it up in 6, and it says, But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened with a leap he stood upright and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God, and all the people saw him walking and praising God. You have this story here about this cripple sitting at the temple gate. Now think of his life at this point, because he had heard about all these things that Jesus was doing. He heard about all of the healing that was taking place, and now he's thinking, I just need to get to Jesus. If Jesus comes by, he's going to heal me. My life of being crippled, of not being able to walk, is going to be over. I just need to see Jesus. And then one day, somebody comes and says, Jesus has been crucified. So his hope now is gone, and now all he could do is just beg for alms to, to, to help him and to sustain him. And here comes Peter. I don't have that to give you. This is what I can give you. In the name of that same Jesus, get up and walk. And he grabs him and he gets it, and he's just, imagine, 
he's in the depths of where he is because Jesus has been killed. And now, in the name of Jesus, he is up and he is walking. Think of the witness that he was in that temple as he is leaping around telling people about what just happened to him. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees are watching this. My brothers and sisters, there are people in the world today that are looking for Jesus. There are people in the world today that are looking for hope. Just take a look around you. Watch the news for five minutes, and you're going to see a lot of hopelessness. People are looking for him. We need to take people to Jesus. We need to take Jesus to people. That's where we find hope. That's where they're going to find hope. Because sometimes people can't get there on their own. And that's why we're here. To bring them or to take Jesus to them in this fallen world. Amen? So that's what happens here. And now remember, in this same room, that Peter is now in the same room in front of some of the same people he had denied shamefully Jesus. So think about what's going on. Spirit of Prophecy tells us those present who remembered the part that Peter had acted at the trial of his master flattered themselves that he could now be intimidated by the threat of imprisonment and death. So think about what the conversation is like if you're the, the Jewish leaders and you know it's going to be Peter. So for those that didn't know what had taken place, the ones that did are leaning over going, let me tell you about this guy that we're going to have in front of us. Let me tell you about this impulsive Peter. Let me tell you about this Peter that everything was focused on him. Let me tell you about this Peter that denied Jesus. This is the guy we're going to have in front of us. So there's a real, real good possibility we're going to be able to intimidate this guy. In fact, we are going to be able to intimidate him. He couldn't even stand up for Jesus. He denied him. We'll just threaten him a little bit. We'll get him. But this isn't the same Peter. This is a different Peter. This Peter now has been imbued with a power that he could never find on his own. He's now got a boldness about him that he didn't find because of the things that he did. It was a gift that was given to him. And in that same boldness now, he says the following, beginning in verse number 8. Rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Think of the gasps that went over in that room. 
The ones that didn't know about this, Peter, that were told by others about how he was going to be intimidated, they're probably going, I don't think we're intimidating this guy. I don't see it in what he's saying. This sounds pretty bold. I mean, listen to what he's saying. He's saying this to rulers. He's saying to this to those that are in authority. If you've brought us here today, questioning how this man was saved, let me tell you about how this man was healed. This man was healed by Jesus Christ. By the way, the one that you crucified. And the one, you remember you put that story out there that said that we were the ones and that we took the body? Well, that didn't happen either. God raised him from the dead. And then he goes back to something familiar to them because he goes back to Isaiah. And these are learned guys. They know this is the stone which you rejected coming directly from Isaiah. And he's now the chief cornerstone. And here's the capper. Here's how we're going to top it off. There is no other name that you find salvation in other than Jesus Christ. That's bold. That's not the Peter we remembered. That's not the same guy. This is someone different. I pray in my life, I, I, I came to the Lord much later on in my life, and for those of you that did, I pray that people say the same thing about me. I pray that people go today, you know, that's not the same Phil. The guy who was like, had that really short temper, the guy who cursed a lot, the guy who drank a lot, this doesn't look like him anymore. This is a different guy. That's why our personal testimonies are so powerful. Because then we get to tell people why I'm not the same guy. It had nothing to do with me. Holy Spirit came into my life. Jesus came into my life and changed me. And now I'm a different person. But do we speak in the same boldness today that Peter spoke? Do we have the same power in our words today that Peter had? Spirit of prophecy tells us this courageous defense appalled the Jewish leaders. They had supposed that the disciples would be overcome with fear and confusion when brought before the Sanhedrin. But instead, these witnesses spoke as Christ had spoken. With a convincing power that silenced their adversaries, there was no trace of fear in Peter's voice as he declared of Christ. Being with Jesus means we should speak with holy boldness by the power of of the Spirit. Verse 13 in the King James Version says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Well, well they're unlearned. I mean, they don't have the same education as the scribes did. And if they don't have that education, they're not qualified to go out and teach. They can't do that. And, and it says here that, that, that they were ignorant. And if you look at that word in the Greek, it means that they were common men. So, so they're not officials. They have no rank. They have no office. And they have no calling. What? 
But yet they're going out and speaking in this boldness, and they come to the conclusion that there's only one reason why they were able to do this. And that word boldness that they used here, that was the same word that they used when describing the characteristic of the way Jesus spoke. The same word they're using now. And they're saying there's only one way that this could have happened. These guys had to have been with Jesus. Bible commentary tells us to the Sanhedrin, it must have been as though Jesus were again living before their eyes in the person of his two disciples. They didn't see these disciples. They didn't hear these disciples. They saw them. They didn't hear them. They heard Jesus. When Phil took that call, he didn't hear Barbara on the other end. He heard my mom. They see Jesus in these men. Ordinary men speaking with a power, a confidence, and a boldness because they had spent time with Jesus. My friends, what are we speaking today? How are we speaking today? Are we spending enough time with Jesus that we're able to go out and speak with that same boldness, with that same confidence? A few verses later, we'll pick it up in verse number 16. It says, saying, what shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it will not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in this name. So what we'll do is... We'll just warn them. See, I'm sure they wanted to punish them severely. To the utmost of their powers, I'm sure they wanted to punish them, but they had a little problem. Because if we go on later in verse 21, it says, On account of the people, because they were all glorifying God for what had happened, for the man was more than 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. Can't punish him. We got to worry about the people. So we'll just warn them. We'll just threaten them a little. Peter and John are then called back into the room, and Peter replies, which comes our scripture reading for today. Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and about what we have heard. So what do we speak about today? The apostles' testimony is grounded on the fact that they had been with Jesus. Our testimony is grounded in the fact of what Jesus has done in our lives. See, when we're witnessing, too often we forget the second half of the witnessing part. Now, I'm guilty of this. I I tell people, well, let me tell you about this old Phil and the way that he was. And he's not perfect, but it's been a process of taking him from where he was to the point that he's at right now. But what about what Jesus is doing for me today? What about what Jesus has already accomplished for me in the future? We don't tell people about that. We tell them about our history. We don't tell them about all of the things Jesus does for me now. Oh, and let me tell you about 
what Jesus did when he went to the cross. We're looking for hope today. People are looking for hope in this world. That's where we find hope. What Jesus accomplished on that cross for everyone. The hope of eternity for everyone. That's hope. That hope is not based on an election. That hope isn't based on a vaccine. That hope isn't based on a political party. That hope is eternal. That's what Jesus has done for us. That's what we should be telling people. Being with Jesus means we should become Jesus-like. See, I've heard it all the time said, study the character of Jesus. And sometimes I think it's just words when we say that. No, study the character. Study his character. But why do we study his character? We study his character because we want to become Christ-like. Not just on Sabbath when we're in church. In everything that we do. In our walk in life. In the things that we think about. In the things that we say. We want to become Christ-like. That's why we study his character. While Peter and John were prisoners, the other disciples, knowing the malignity of the Jews, had prayed unceasingly for their brethren, fearing that the cruelty shown to Christ might be repeated. In sports, particularly for good players, right? Only with good players do you hear this. You hear about a guy's go-to move, right? Some guys have go-to moves. Either maybe it's the crossover dribble, maybe it's the cutback, maybe it's the slap shot. Whatever it is, it's the go-to move of that guy. The early church had a go-to move. Whenever something would come up, they didn't hesitate. Their go-to move is they're going to come together and they're going to pray about it. And they weren't praying for themselves. They're praying for their brothers they know the situation that they're in unceasingly. They're in prison for two days. They're there for two days. Unceasingly, they're praying for their brothers. They had just come off of 10 days in prayer. That's how the unification happens. That's how we become of one accord. We come together and we pray. And we're not praying, hey, God, it's me, 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 me. We're praying for others. That was their go-to move. That's what they did. And so now Peter and John, they, they return now, and they give a report of all of the things that had happened, and there's a lot of praising that goes on with what happened, but we pick it up later on in verse number 29, and it says, And now, Lord, take note of their threats. Threats are a pretty ominous thing. The thing that makes it most ominous is the uncertainty of threats. Do you remember after 9-11, and I don't know if they still have this, they had that, that, that threat chart, and if you were traveling, it would be like code red, meant that there was a, a likelihood that something was going to take place, and I think like yellow or blue or something meant that it was less likely. You, you can never be sure about threats. So they're saying, Lord, take note of their threats. Now, if I'm there, if I'm there, I'm going to say, Lord, take note of their threats and, and take the threats away. Just, just do away with the threats so we can go out and we can complete the job and we can finish the work. 
okay, don't take away the threat. At least see us through these threats. Don't let any harm come to us. Just let us walk right through these threats so we could go and, and we could finish the work. That's, that's what I would pray for. And grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence. There's no mention of how we want to go through this unscathed. Actually, they're saying, let us speak more boldly and more confidently the thing that brings the threat on us in the first place. They're basically coming out and saying, Lord, make us more persecutable than we already are. Give us the strength and the boldness to do that. We don't want the threats to go. We don't care about the threats. There's a job to finish here. And we want to do that. And we want to do it in pure confidence. And we want to do it in boldness. And there's only one place and one way we can do that. We're going to ask you, Lord, help us to do that. The disciples of Christ had a deep sense of their own inefficiency, and with humiliation and prayer, they joined their weakness to his strength, their ignorance to his wisdom, their unworthiness to his righteousness, their poverty to his exhaustless wealth. Thus strengthened and equipped, they hesitated not to press forward in the service of their master. They recognize all of the inefficiencies that they have in their lives, and there's only one place that we can get strength from. We just want to give it to you, Lord. And, and, and you give us, and you provide us the strength, because we're imperfect. There's no selfishness in there. I, 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 was, uh, I was doing uh, just a, a study on this, and so they had this report of telling you like how the society today, how we can be a very selfish society. You know, we're all about the selfies. Right? And I think this report said, to date, 285 people have died by putting themselves in dangerous situations trying to take a selfie. 285 people. Because I got to get that shot. I got to get the picture of me on that shot as I'm standing off the edge of the cliff. Being with Jesus means that we die to ourselves. There is no self in there. Verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. So I have a question for everybody here. Question for people at home. Why are our churches not shaking today? They're in a time of trouble. They're in a time of crisis. We're in a time of trouble today, I think we would say. There's crisis happening all around us. Now, maybe the token God would give would not be the same. That was the token that he gave to them. I'm going to shake that ground where you are to say that I heard your, I've heard your pleads. So the ground is going to shake. Maybe it would be different. But why isn't that happening here today? Why is there not some other token coming from God today to say you're going to have that boldness and that confidence? We studied this a couple of weeks ago in a Sabbath school lesson 
with Brother Curtis. And Brother Curtis proposed to all of us as we were on that panel, it doesn't happen probably because we don't think that we need it today. We're doing all right. I know that the church is a little, you know, it's not as many people. We got Zoom. We have cameras. I mean, so we're okay. We're, we're seeing our way through all of this. That early church didn't want to see their way through by themselves with anything. They wanted the Holy Spirit to take them through. That's what we should be asking for today. The Holy Spirit to give us that same strength to take us through this time. And by the way, along the way as we're doing that, we're saving souls for the kingdom of God. The presence of the Spirit with God's workers will give the proclamation of truth a power that not all the honor or glory of the world could give. Since this is the means by which we are to receive power, why do we not hunger and thirst for the gift of the Spirit? Why do we not talk of it, pray for it, and preach concerning it? For the daily baptism of the Spirit, every worker should offer his petition to God. Not the weekly, when we come in and we're together on Sabbath. The daily petition should be for God to, to give us that Holy Spirit in perfect measure for that day so that we can go out and speak his words. In battle, there's a, a sure way of defeating your enemy in battle. I, I cut off his supply line, right? If, if I can cut off your supply line, if I know you can't get food and, and rations and ammunition or whatever else it might be, it, it's just a matter of time. You're going to be weakened, and we're going to overtake you, and we're going to beat you. We have an enemy today that is looking to cut off our supply line. Our supply line is our, our prayer time with God. He, he wants to cut that off. So he gives us a lot of things to keep us occupied. There's a lot of stuff we can get involved in today. He likes that. Because the less time that we spend with God, the less that we can rely on the power that he's waiting to give us. So, so let's make the decision here today as a church and for those of you that are watching at home that we're not going to do that. We're going to make the decision today that we are going to come together as a church body just as that early church did. And we're going to pray. We're going to pray that God will give us that same power, that we get to go out into this world that looks hopeless, as James was saying, this world that is in chaos right now, this world that is in darkness, and we're going to be that beacon of light for people because we're going to tell them, get your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. That's where we find the hope. So how about you? For someone that may be watching at home, maybe there's somebody here this morning or this afternoon that hasn't made that decision yet to surrender your life to Jesus. I have an invitation for you. Here's the invitation. The invitation doesn't come from me. I didn't draw up the invitation. I am giving you the invitation on behalf of Jesus Christ. And the invitation is, he just wants you to see what it's like to spend time with him. He's just calling you into a relationship with him. That's it. Just see what it's like to spend time with him, to pray, to maybe just open his word and read his word a little bit, to open your heart up to him. 
And here's the good part about the invitation. You know, like you get some invitations in the mail, and, and the invitation may be, well, you could bring like potato salad or, or whatever it is, the dish that you like to make. Or maybe there's an attire, like so you have to show up in a, a suit and tie or a tuxedo or something to that effect. This invitation is free, and Jesus wants you exactly how you are. He wants you in your pain, in your brokenness, in your sinfulness, in your hurt, in your haughtiness, in your selfishness. It doesn't matter how you are. He wants you in exactly that way. This invitation doesn't cost us anything except to make the decision. But the one who gave the invitation, it cost him everything. And he was willing to go to the cross just so he has the opportunity to ask you into that relationship with him. So won't you do that? Won't you make that decision today? It will be the best checking of yes for an RSVP that you have ever done in your entire life. I promise you. And then one day, one day, people are going to say about you too that you must have been with Jesus. Let's bow our heads. <clears throat> Father God, we, um, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time. We thank you, Father, for your word. It's a hard world, Father. It's a hard world to live in. We're tired. We're wearied. We feel like almost every day we're getting punched in the gut because of something else that takes place. It's hard, Father. It's hard to do things in love. It's hard to look at this world through the lens of Jesus, to look through this world with a lens of love in our head because a lot of it just doesn't make sense. But that's, that's sin, Father. That's sin in this world, and that's what happens to a sin-infected world. But you have the remedy for it. You have the answer for it all, and the answer is found in your Son, Jesus Christ. So I pray, Father, today for all of us that are watching, for all of us that are here, Father, that we would make that decision, that we would come to you and ask you for the same thing that that early church, the same thing that those disciples asked for, that no matter what is taking place, Father, that we may have the strength and the boldness to only speak your word. Not my words, not my neighbor's words, not what I think is good. That we seek you first in all of things and that you would give us the proper words to speak. That we would come together as a church. That we would be that beacon of light that people can look to. And then we, Father, get to put out that invitation. And we, Father, get to tell people about the only place they need to find hope in this world, the hope that never changes, Father, that we get to tell them about Jesus. Be with us for the rest of this day. Be with us for the rest of this week, Father. Give us that word to speak. Bring us to people that need the message, Father. And we just thank you for all that you do in our lives. And we do this and we pray this in his holy and precious name, our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I would ask you all to please stand for the benediction. <clears throat> Father.
For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in everything, in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Amen.